This podcast is sponsored by Bedfordshire Hot Tubs. Relaxing in a jacuzzi is the perfect way to keep calm and carry on. Hello and welcome back to Keep Calm and Carry On. Boy, is it hot. It's a hot one this week, isn't it? I hope you guys are doing all right and managing to keep cool out there, maybe snapping up those last paddling pools that are out there. (laughs) We definitely got one. Talking of paddling pools, we are so grateful to have our sponsors join us this season. We are sponsored by the amazing Bedfordshire Hot Tubs. You can see them on Instagram at bhtubs. And also their website is www.bhtubs.co.uk and I promise you, you should go and have a look at them. And if you do call them up, please quote Kerry on because they are going to donate to Acting for Others and they need all the help that they can get right now. So go have a look, check them out. I mean, you know, we can't go on holiday at the moment, so maybe bring a bit of holiday to our homes. Honestly, it's amazing. My kids go mental for it. We love it. Sitting in the evening, having a glass of wine, watching the stars. Oh, it's gorgeous. So how are you guys out there? Well, I've had quite a busy week. I was at the Pheasantry in Chelsea this week doing two shows and it was so nice to be back on stage and with a live audience. I even went live for a couple of numbers on my Instagram, which was a lot of fun. So whoever was out there joining me, thank you so, so much. So up this week we have... I mean, I think she's a bit of a national treasure, if I'm honest. And I remember growing up watching her on my screens uh, just from a little girl. She's been almost part of all of our lives um, for a very, very long time. And she's just a dream. We spoke everything from Footloose to musicals to Bucks. Oh, can't say it. Bucks Fizz. Hmm, Maybe I need a Bucks. Maybe I've had a Bucks Fizz. (laughs) No, I haven't. To Bucks Fizz, to Eurovision and talking about all those gold discs. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm just going to let you listen to the chat. So sit back or whatever you're doing, enjoy this chat with the lovely Cheryl Baker. Cheryl, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. I mean, I got to speak to you uh, about a week or two ago and, and I came on your radio show, which was super exciting. So I'm so pleased that now I get to ask you all the questions and talk about you, which is really exciting. Thank you so much. That's How a are... pleasure. Love, great, to, great to talk to you. But first of all, I mean, we just mentioned it. Can we just talk about your backdrop? I know the listeners can't hear it. But if, guys, if you could see what I can see right now, there is platinum disc beyond platinum disc, beyond gold disc, behind Cheryl, Cheryl's head. Oh, it, that's amazing. That is unreal. Do you know the silly thing, though? I Back in the day, we had so many. We were given so many discs from all over the world, um, especially for, you know, making your mind up a land of make-believe, I must say, and the albums. But I used to keep them in boxes and put them in the loft like an idiot. And then the day the day came when I didn't get any more and I thought, you know... This is the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, about time to put them on the wall. And I, the stupidly as well, I used to give them away, you know, for charity events. So there's, there's I'm missing oh about God. three up there that Mike <gasps> Nolan's got on his wall and I haven't because I gave them away. Wow, that's impressive though. <laughs> but it's funny, isn't it? You don't put it. You don't put it over your house initially. Like I've only just started to put them up on our, like show pictures and things. Because you don't, do you? Kind of while you're in it, you you don't really. I don't know. It's not like no, no, you don't. Mike, Mike does again. Mentioning Mike, he's got a wall of not just not just the discs. He's got pictures when we met any royals. He's got. Oh um, wow. He's got 
when we've done the Eurovision Song Contest, he's got the, the laminate that we were given. He's, <gasps> he's framed it. I wish I'd have done that. Yeah. He's got all the times that we were number one in the charts. And oh, my God. Framed it all. I haven't done any of that stuff. You'll need to write a book. Have you written a book yet? That's what I'm writing it now. And I'm writing it with your girlies. You recommended it. Yay! Yeah. Kerry. That's, that's so exciting. That's, no, no I mean, you're Kerry. She's Kelly. That's right. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's brilliant. I mean, what made... What, I mean... I'm going to jump straight in. I was, I've got loads of stuff to talk to you about, but this is so exciting. Um, so what's your book? Is it all, is it your life story? Is it all about your, your career and highlights? Yeah, but I mean, she's, um, she's been reading it, obviously. I've, I've written it and, and, or I am writing it. I'm kind of nearly halfway through. Mm. So we're doing a different kind of thing where she's editing it for me and mm. she's saying, I don't understand this bit. You've got to expand on that bit or... Can you explain what you mean by this? And so mm. we were. It's a good combination. I, as you said, she likes my humour. So there's a lot of humour in it, and there's a lot of memories because I'm incredibly old. So, um, so <laughs> you look fabulous. <laughs> you look fabulous. <laughs> Thank goodness for makeup. That's all I can say. <laughs> and hair products. But she's, um, yeah, she's she's pointing out things to me that I need. Like there was something she. I, I chatted to her last night. And she said, can you explain to me what you mean by going down hopping? And I went, oh, I didn't think of that. It's because I live in Kent and my family come from East London. And what they used to do back in the day, I never did because um, I was born after they stopped doing it. But they used to go down hopping. That's what they said. We're going down hopping. Uh-huh. And she said to me, um, Kelly said to me, can you explain? I went, oh, well, you know, it's like saying, I'm going down the road, I'm going down the pub, I'm going down the shops, I'm going down hopping. And they used to go and pick the hops that made the beer. Yeah. That, you know, that's what the EastEnders used to do. So I had to explain that to her. So that's now going to go into the book. You know, the explanation. Brilliant. Because sometimes you write things, I'm writing from my own memory, mm. and I assume that everyone understands what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Everyone's not in, our, in your lingo, are they? No. they? They probably understand the events, but not in your lingo. Why now? Like, was it, was it inspired by the lockdown, or was it, did you always want to write a book? What, where, did the, where did it come from? It started in 2014. I was on tour with um, Happy Days the Musical and I bought myself my first laptop. <laughs> up, up to then, I just worked on my PC at home mm. or on my little, my little tablet or whatever. But then my husband, Steve, said, get yourself a laptop, start your book. And so that's when I started it. And so it's been really sporadic. Sometimes mm. I've fancied writing, sometimes I haven't. But yes... During lockdown, my daughter Natalie said, "Mum, you're nuts. You're playing games on your on your iPad. You could be writing your book." Mm. And so she actually she said, "Come and tell me some stories. I'll start typing them out." And so that's how we kick-started it again. Wow. And um and she, and she was writing things in her words, and I thought, "Well, that's that's not me. I've got, I've got to do this." Mm. So I took over, and now that I've got uh, Kelly with me as well editing, I I I'm really keen on. You know, every day I think, oh, I must write that down. I must yeah, write, even yeah. if I just make little written nice. notes. Yeah, so it's good. I'm loving it. Is it in order of your? Of, it, it, does it go through your life, or is it just? Kind yeah, of... it's. I. It kind of is. It, and the funny thing is that um, I'm writing more about my young life than I, I. And I'm thinking I've got to write about Bucks Fizz because that's what people are going to want to read. But actually. 
that's the stuff that I'm finding hardest to write about for some reason. I'm My memories of my youth and the first band I was in and the fun that I've had and the holidays that I've had. And then I think, you know, come and read. You know, my real name's Rita. Come and read. Write about Bucks Fizz because they want to hear about Bucks Fizz. So I'm forcing myself to do that. But actually, I mean, and the, the reason we have Kelly in common is because I did mine over lockdown earlier than I thought I would ever do a book. But um, I found a similar thing that it was it. I wanted to write about the things that people didn't know. And the, like people know about Bucks Fizz. They know the journey. They know they perhaps don't know all the ins and outs, but it's 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 documented, so you can find out. And it's what's interesting, I think, to people is all the stuff they don't know, all the stuff where how it started out for you and how your journey to it. So I think it, I, I'll read it. I'll get a copy <laughs> when it comes out. <laughs> so so I want. I guess I want to. I want to go back a little bit and 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 ask you how things did start for you. How did you come into into the world thinking I want to. I want to sing, I want to present, I want to be in show business. Or how, how did it start to you for you? It's been sport and singing. All I ever wanted to do was be an Olympic runner and a singer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it wasn't just, yeah, I didn't just want to be a runner. I wanted to win an Olympic gold medal. <laughs> and I used to, I was talking to Kelly about that last night because I did, I wanted to join the Victoria Park Harriers, which was the local sports group mm. that uh, club that um, not far from where I live. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't old enough yet and I used to bunk over and so that I could try running around the track and I just loved it I loved running I wanted to represent my country I found that it was um, I've always been really so patriotic mm. I love my country I really I'm proud of the UK I love it and um and I love our queen and I wanted to represent her and and the rest of the country wow. running a race and then I saw Sandy Shaw win the Eurovision Song Contest and I wanted to be a singer as well. I, but I actually thought, Kerry, that my singing career would be in the pub at the end of the road, you know. Wow. So I thought I'm going to be a shorthand typist in the city, you know, because live, living in East London, it was one stop on the train into Liverpool Street where all the jobs were. And so I thought I'll be a shorthand typist during the day and of a weekend I'll sing in the pub at the end of the road. Mm. But then I saw Sandy Shaw win the Eurovision Song Contest with Puppet on a String and I thought that is the equivalent of winning uh, an Olympic gold medal. Actually, I, I spoke to Anthony Costa, who did the Eurovision yes. back in 2011. And From he blue. said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I spoke to him this morning and Aww. he said he regards the Eurovision, like representing your country for the Eurovision is the same as representing your country. It's the musical World Cup. And I thought he's absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> actually because because they did it didn't they um I, I don't know what year it was but it wasn't that long ago was it it was did... 10 years ago 2011 oh was it really oh my yeah. god wowzers I mean I I do want to talk all about Eurovision so 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 you had these two loves running and yeah. singing yeah what what came for, like what did you do did you go you came part of the running club but how did singing make its way into your life I joined an amateur operatic society when I was 16. At the same time, I left school. I left school at 16 and I got my first job. I actually didn't intend to leave school. I was going to stay on to the sixth form. Um, I signed to stay on to the which, which people in, in those years didn't because I was born in 54. So this was 
1970, I left school, and um, and there were only a handful of kids that stayed on to the sixth form. But I loved my school and I loved my mates. I still see my mates now. Wow. And um, and and but I went and got a temporary job in the city, and I earned twelve pounds ten shillings. And there was no way. <laughs> well, why am I going back to school? I couldn't yeah. earn twelve pound ten bob. Mm. So. <laughs> so I got a job as a, a shorthand typist and I was fast and I was good. I was good at my job. I know I was. And um, and I did that for five years, different different companies, but I did that for five years. But in the sa- at the same time, I joined this amateur operatic society and we used to do shows. We used to do a heavy show and a light show every year. So we'd do Deflade a Mouse or... Um, the Merry Widow or something like that. And we'd also do Oklahoma or mm. The Boyfriend, that kind of thing. And I absolutely loved it. And the first show that I did with them was The Merry Widow. And on the last night, I cried because I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to be yeah. on stage. I want to be singing in front of people. So at 21, I, I bit the bullet. I saw an advert in probably the NME or Melody Maker or something. And it said, girl singer required for harmony group. And that was the magic word for me, harmony, mm. because that's what I love doing. I, I don't particularly like taking the lead on any song, but I love using my voice like a musical instrument. Mm. So, um, so I applied for this job and I auditioned for it on, sun, on the Sunday. And that night, on the Sunday night, they said, yes, we want you in the band. Um, but you, we need you straight away. We're up in Blackpool. We're in summer season with Freddie Starr. And we need you to come up to Blackpool. And I went, oh, but but I've got a job. I'm working. And I literally had to go into work the next day and say, I'm really sorry. You know that I've always dreamt of being a singer. Um, and so I, and he said, then you have to go. You have to follow your dream. And so wow. on. that was it. That was the start for me in 1975. Wow. Wow. And, di- and di- was that job... I think you learn so much, don't you, on those first jobs. You learn just how to how to be and how to interact with an audience, and they 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 are your training, aren't they? When you get out there and start working, I was so nervous and I was so completely green. You know, apart from doing the amateur operatics, mm. I'd never been in a band, and so I learned my trade in those first those five years that I was with Coco. I learned my trade, and within a few months of joining them. We were asked to do a song for Europe, and uh, so I joined them. My first gig was in October 1975, and early in 1976, um, they did the Eurovision. Uh, sorry, the song for Europe from the Royal Albert Hall. So there was me, Rita, wow. Crudging, Rita Crudgington from Bethnal Green, you know, <laughs> completely green behind the ears or whatever the saying is, and I'm singing in the Royal Albert Hall in wow. this massive competition. We were. All the pictures of the the artists were on the front page of the Radio Times and in all the newspapers. It was a year that um, Brotherhood of Man won with mm. um, uh, Save Your Kisses for Me, and we came second. Second, we lost, I... we lost by two points. I saw that. That's but, amazing. I, but can you imagine, Kerry? If I'd have won, what would I? I mean, it would have. I don't know what I would have done because I had I hadn't earned one stripe yet. You know, I needed to. I needed to learn my craft and earn my stripes. And so, um, it, you know, thankfully when Bucks Fizz came along, it was six years after joining the band and I knew what I was doing by that time. The song for Europe is just like the Eurovision. When you win, you become the national star overnight. But then when you do the Eurovision, 
and you win, you become the international star overnight. So you could, if we'd have won that night at the Song for Europe when Brotherhood of Man beat us by two points, mm. if we'd have won then and we'd have then gone on to do the Eurovision, I don't know where my head would have been. I don't mm. think I could have. I don't think I could have stood it. It was. Uh, it would have been too much pressure too soon. Mm. Um, and we did after that. We just carried on gigging and actually. Two years later, 1978, we did the Song for Europe again as Coco with a song called The Bad Old Days. And this time we did win, but I was ready for it then. Mm, yeah. And we went to Paris to represent the country. And there's me thinking, you know, like I said earlier, representing my queen, my nation, my country that I'm so proud <laughs> of. And we came 11th, which was the worst the UK had ever done at that time. Oh <laughs> Honestly, God. there were parties afterwards that everybody went to, and I went, Nana, I'm going back. I'm going back, having a cup of tea and going to bed. Mm. So I went back to the hotel on my own. I was so despondent. Yeah. yeah, but in a sense, it was probably good the way your way things were happening for you, that you had experienced those kind of, you know, not winning all the time or and then winning. You like you say, you were ready for it. You kind yeah. of couldn't. You could deal with that pressure. Deal with that those highs and those lows of, of what our industry is all about. Yeah, I think that actually in the time sort of element of my life, my career, I think you're right. I think it worked out great because losing that first song for Europe, I wasn't ready for it. Uh, doing the Eurovision but not winning, I wasn't ready really for that either. By the time that Bucks Viz came along, I'd, I'd done so I'm much ready. by then and and even done the Eurovision before, which not mm. many people have done more than once. Um, I had a lot of experience under me under my belt, and actually, if we'd have won, which obviously we did, um, it was going to be a bonus. Obviously, the massive bonus, the bonus that changed my life. But if mm. we'd have lost, it wouldn't have been so distressing as the one in Paris because I've done it before, and I was just going in. I was doing it really for the fun and mm. for my mum and dad to record it on the video. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you know, the, you could be doing these huge events and you're going, yeah, but I just want such and such to see it or my mum or my or my family or whatever. My, I love that. I love that. I love when it's normalised that. That's brilliant. So how did Bucks Fizz form? How did it happen? Um, when I left Coco, I left Coco in 1980, and uh, actually, we did the Song for Europe again in 1980. We changed our name to the main event and we came last. And I thought, well, you know, maybe this horse has run its, <laughs> run its course. Maybe it's time to leave. <laughs> and so I left Coco. And I st I, because I had my training as a secretary, I contacted the recording studio that we used to work at. We did all our, uh, the, you know, the bad old days and the, the album and everything. And I said, look, I've left Coco do you want me to come in? I can do BVs for people. I can type your letters. Um, I can answer the phone. And they went, yeah, great, we'll give you a job. So I went in to work for Mayfair Sound. And shortly after, a lady came in called Nicola Martin, who knew me from previous Song for Europe. She always seemed to be there as well. I didn't particularly like her. I thought she was a bit <laughs> up her own backside, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I did. I thought she was a bit full of herself. And actually... Quite rightly, because she was really good at a gig. She was mm. really, she really had great ideas. I think maybe I felt a bit, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, she, I've, I've, I didn't feel good enough to talk to her. Yeah, intimidated. Yeah, that's the word, intimidated. So, um, so anyway, she said, "Why are you here?" And I said, "I've left Coco." And then shortly after that, she formed the band Bucks Fizz. Mm. Um, 
and she rang me and said, look, my boyfriend has got a song in the Song for Europe. It's called Making Your Mind Up. Do you want to come and have a listen to it? And uh, if you like it, you can be in the band. And it, so it it was just perfect timing, Kerry, mm. that I left Bucks Fizz when... Oh, sorry, I left Coco when I did. I worked at Mayfair Sound when I did. And in came Nicola and formed Bucks Fizz specifically to do the song for Europe in 1981. Wow. Did you... Uh, w- when you heard the song for the first time, did you get a... Did you get a feel about it, or did, was it quite like, yeah, I'll go for it. We'll have a go, you know, because it's hard, isn't it? To you, you, you can never foresee what's going to happen. You, I mean, I talk with Brian a lot about this, saying, you know, did you know it was a special song when you were writing this? You know, do you know? And and generally, people don't know, but you get a certain feeling about it. What was your response to it? Well, Andy Hill wrote the song, and he was there. I went to Nicola's house, and he played it for me on the piano. Just him singing and him playing on the piano. And I thought, wow. don't think much of this. So <laughs> 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 you see, my idea of good music is James Taylor and Joni mm. Mitchell. Oh, I love Joni Mitchell. Me too. I've done an album of her songs, actually. So she's my idol, Joni Mitchell. And James Taylor is my go-to singer if ever I just need to chill and just mm. listen to fabulous music. That is Joni and, and James. They're my go- So making your mind up, that was not in the same box as Jane, James and Joni. And but I did think it's catchy. Mm. And in those days, it was the catchy songs that they wanted to hear on the Eurovision. It's not anymore. Thankfully, it's moved on. Mm. And now there's really credible chart songs in the Eurovision. But back then, it was all about being the catchy song. Mm. And so I thought, yeah, it could do well. And so that was that was on the 7th of January, 1981. The following Sunday, on the 11th, I met um, Mike, Bobby and Jay for the first time. When I saw, I saw Mike when I did my... When I, when I listened to the song, but Jay and Bobby I met for the first time on the 11th of January. On the 11th of March, we did the song for Europe and won. And on the 4th of April, we did the Eurovision and won. So within that short space of time, we were nowhere and nobody to be in international stars. It was really quite remarkable. And that's what, that, that, exactly that. It's not just then, some, you know, suddenly you're just in the UK, do it. it suddenly everyone knows who you are what you're doing this song becomes superstars here it's huge it's it's internationally you go you just go catastrophic from from nowhere was it was it very different suddenly then being known and being accepted and people wanted to hear this song all you know all over europe and did you then go on tour did you then tour yeah, straight away. We um, So we won the competition on the Saturday. We flew home on the Sunday. We had a meeting on the Monday. We had no manager. So we had to, a friend of Nicola's, Jill Shirley, uh, she became our manager. Uh, it was a temporary thing, but as it happened, she stayed our manager. And the next day we flew to Austria or Switzerland wow. to do our first TV. And then for the next year, or maybe two years, we probably spent 10 months of the year out of the country, just mm. promoting, touring. We, we always toured in the UK, but it was just crazy. It was just bang, 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 all the time. And and um, the, always having a, in your rider at the bottom of the, of the contract, uh, if they are off the top of the pops, then this contract is null and void. So it was all about flying home for top mm. of the pops, wherever you were in the world. Um, and 
you'd come back, you'd tour, you'd promote the next single or the next single in the UK and you'd fly abroad and you'd be promoting the previous single because they're mm. playing catch up and yeah yeah but it was fantastic it was fantastic we flew everywhere first class we were picked up by limousines I lived in a council flat yeah. and the limousines used to come along and pick us up and all these discs behind <laughs> me I was getting these discs in those early days and on me in me council flat wow. there was a there was um, a Guinness um clock on the wall that my mum and dad liked because they liked Guinness and next to it was a gold disc. <laughs> I love that. I love that though. How brilliant that is. You know, that is it's so wonderful when it happens like that and it's just it's just because of who you guys are and what you're doing and it's it's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. <laughs> Do you watch are you are you kind of an avid Eurovision supporter now? Because obviously it's been such a massive part of your life. Um, do you watch it every year? Are you kind of invested? Yeah, no, I, I always have been. I've, I always loved it anyway as a child. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever missed one. There was once when I was driving home from, I think I was on tour with the, maybe Footloose or something, and I was driving home. And so I had to listen to it on Radio 2. So there's no way that I can miss it. I yeah. have to see it. This year, um, I was doing a, a theatre thing because I've done a few semi-pro shows with my children and one of the show and they're, do, they're doing this alumni they did this alumni show on the 22nd of May which of course was when the Eurovision was this year yeah, yeah. and um and I was I had to sing Taylor's oldest time as I was Mrs Potts yeah from uh from Beauty and the Beast um and but because they, they were pre-recording it which was fantastic because it was going out on uh, on the internet and I just had to jump in the car Natalie and Kyla went, Mum, we're going out for dinner after. We're going to celebrate. And I went, no, 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 I've got to get home for the Eurovision. <laughs> so I had to jump in the car and I can't miss it. I love I, that. It's like, it's part of my DNA. This episode is also sponsored by Me Winchmore Hill, which is a beautiful online clothing company that have beautiful, relaxed, but bright, fun, easy clothing. I just adore them. Go check them out. Their Instagram is me underscore Winchmore underscore Hill, and their website is www.mewinchmorehill.com. You've got a family, and obviously... I can I can kind of sympathise, empathise, being a working parent. How did you juggle being a working mum and being, you know, doing what we do and still being being mum? I mean, I still struggle with it now. It's it's the most difficult. You know, we do a job that we absolutely love and and exactly can't we can't stop. We can't leave it behind. We have to do it. But then then there's the job of being a parent, which is again is is brilliant and hard all at the same time and balancing too is insane and how did you how have you done it <laughs> um i i at the time when i when i wanted to get pregnant i got married to steve in 1992 and i'd known him by then for 17 years so i didn't need to do all that getting to know you malarkey mm. and i was i was nearly 38 when we got married so i said to steve if we're gonna have a family we better start pretty soon no, yeah. so um so literally straight away we we tried um and it didn't it didn't happen it didn't happen for a couple of years and i thought i better go and get checked out and i and i went and um i went and had uh an, a 
investigative sort of do mm. the belly button type job and they said oh no you've got too much going on in there you'll have to have IVF so we we did the IVF went down the IVF route um and third time I was lucky and got pregnant and they said you're having twins which was absolutely amazing <laughs> um however at that time um I was in Bucks Fizz and I was also very heavily into TV I was doing loads mm. of TV at that time and so I thought well hang on I've the, I can't have a family and keep this job up. I can't do the TV thing and be off on tour with Bucksfields. I can't do it. I've got to give one of them up. So I left the group. I left the group on December the 11th, 1993. Um, and I had the children on the 20th of June, um, 1994. Wow. So, um, so I gave up the band. I couldn't do but And I gave up doing pantomime because I just thought... I can't do pantomime. I can't go and entertain other people's children when mine are at home. That's just mm. not right. Yeah, so, um, right. so I did do panto again. I did it when they were seven because I thought they they'll can love watch. It. <laughs> yeah, they can watch and they'll love it. And they did, but it still meant I was away from You're home. You're away a lot. Mm. I used to come home. I, I, I used to. I, I said I can only do it if I can travel home. But I wasn't there to buy the tree. I wasn't there yeah. to wrap the present. I was there of an evening when it was when they'd already gone to bed. You know. Yeah. And so, um, and so Panto kind of stopped then, and Fizz, you know, forget Bucks Fizz, but the TV job that was that was that was fine, that was rocking, and that was all more like um, a day job because mm. you know I used to go up to the BBC mainly, and you know get get there early in the morning, and by four o'clock I'd be coming home, so mm. it was fine, it worked fine until they were old enough when I could go out and do theatre tours rejoin Bucks Fizz, you know, and start kickstart that side of my career again. Have you navigated your your choices then to kind of to to accommodate your family as much as you can? I mean, it's really difficult, isn't it? Because you have it's circumstantial a lot of our business because it's what's available, what you're available for, what you what you want to do, what you don't want to do, and it it, it is really difficult to navigate that. But did you try and and you know, carve a path for yourself to, to work around your family. Yeah, very much so. The first time that I kind of spent more time away from home was when I did Footloose, the musical, and it was on tour for six months. And I really had to, because the girls by that time, it was 2006 when I did that. So they were only 12 years old. They were old enough to understand. They were in secondary school, you know, and Steve was at home. He's a musician, so he's always at home during the day and everything. But I just thought I... I can't jeopardise my family life and my children for this. So I, I really had to think hard, look at the route that we were doing, see where the kids could come and join me and everything. Mm. But it, it worked fine. And then it went into the West End for nine months, so which was fantastic. And the kids came up all the time to see you the You were show. wonderful. I saw you, actually. <laughs> One of my very good friends, Caroline Devil, was, I think, part of the show. And it yes, was... yeah. You were so brilliant. It was such a feel-good show. It was so great. I loved it. I loved Footloose. And I loved the team, all the dancers. Caroline, I see, see Caroline. Every now and again, we have a little get-together with um, Steve McGann, Aww. who's now the great doctor in, uh, yeah. in called The Midwife. But yeah, yeah. He, was, he was my husband in it. Um, yeah, there was, there's some, some of... We, we keep in touch via, via Facebook and everything, so... Uh, it was a really happy time in my life and it didn't affect my home life, which was which was my prime 
problem, uh. my prime worry. And, and actually, I had no need to worry because it worked out fine. Was theatre, uh, I mean, it kind of seems like a natural progression for you anyway, because you sang, you you were in the arts, you presented, you did, you did all kind of performance. Was that a natural kind of progression? Is it something that you always wanted to do? I always wanted to play um, Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady. I never did, and it's too late now. (laughs) (laughs) But I I always wanted to play that role, and I did audition for it once. However, Kerry, I I am a band singer. I told you earlier, I love singing harmony. I like being on stage with a nice little safety net of people around me singing the same song. When you're in a theatrical production and you've got lines and everything Mm. and you've got solos, um, it's a different kettle of fish. And I... I get terribly nervous. I really suffer badly from nerves. And um, when I did, for instance, when I did Footloose, Karen, the, the fantastic director, she, um, I went to her and I said, it was like a week before the show was about to start. And I went, Karen, you've got to replace me. I'm useless. I can't do this. I'd completely lost my nerve. And she went, no, Cheryl, you're perfect. You're, it's absolutely, you know, don't worry yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, And I do get this. I get the real panics about forgetting my lines, Mm. forgetting the song, coming on at the wrong time, missing a scene. I'd really panic about it. And that's why I don't do that many theatrical productions because um, because they, they just... They they make they I have migraines because mm. of them. I, it makes me feel ill. It is a very different discipline. I mean, I I totally get it. You know, when I've been on tour with uh, or doing my own thing or my with a band and or with Brian or whatever it is, there's there's a you have a, you have the kind of um, you can make you can make different choices. You can pull a song out. You can you can take a song down. You can change the melody. You have so much so many more options than when you're doing a theatre show. Once you're on that train with that theatre show, you can't get off, and there's no deviating the route. You just have to get on, do your lines, do your do your songs the way they've been directed, and that's that is quite stressful. And I to- I totally understand that, and I've 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 gone through that as well, and it's a it's a big thing, and I I have to agree with you there's a lot more fun in well not more fun but it's a different kind of fun to be there with a band it's a bit more relaxed it is Um, more relaxed and and it works for me (laughs) yeah no I hear you I totally hear you (laughs) and the stress of a show is it's the commitment to a show eight times a week is is really difficult as well it is yes it is (laughs) I I mean I have to talk to you about record breakers because I grew up watching record breakers and I, we loved it you know it was that it was that when you're growing up you're going what can I do that's groundbreaking what you know maybe I'll line up all these pencils and jump over them or something silly how how did it come about and was there and did you enjoy it for starters and was there what was the most random um event or or entry that that you had on the show do you remember well, I did 11 series and uh, I was asked to do the first series, I think in 1987, 88, something like that. And by that time I had done a little bit of TV. I done So they obviously saw me, thought I fitted the bill. The previous girl was leaving, I think she was pregnant. And so I had the phone call from my manager, do you want to go and have a chat with Roy Castle and the team about joining Record Breakers as a presenter? And I thought, oh, blimey. You know, Roy Castle was 
Like, huge. He'd, mm. he'd, he'd been a great star on Broadway and in the West End, in films. You know, he'd been presenting record breakers for years. He was like a, a national treasure. Mm. And I thought, I don't know enough about this industry to be able to go and be his co-presenter. But anyway, I went up for the meeting and um, he absolutely put my mind at rest. There was nothing about him that was starry. He was so kind so generous with advice and time and everything. And so, yes, I started working on Record Breakers and just loved it. It's, it the, the actual recording in the studio was a bit boring because that was um, pre-recorded and mm. if anything went wrong, you'd do it again. And mm. so the recording days in the studio used to take a, a long time and could be a bit dreary. But it was the, the when you go out, on, on you know across the country and maybe <laughs> maybe across the world when you come and see these remarkable people mm. that want to be the best at whatever their chosen record breaking yeah. thing is and you meet you meet some amazing people and and I loved it I loved the I loved how much um passion they put into it you know yeah. it means so much to them so yeah, we did some crazy ones. There was the biggest, oh my, I remember that, remember that one. There was the biggest Christmas pudding and it was absolutely <laughs> huge. It was in the Northwest somewhere or Northeast. And they've made this massive Christmas pudding as big as, I'm, I'm in my dining room at the moment. It must have been as big as this dining room. This huge <laughs> cauldron that they, they built especially. And they couldn't tip it upside down. They just had to take the lid off when they said, it's ready now and this is the biggest uh, Christmas pudding ever but what had happened they'd made it with suet and all the suet had risen to the top and when they took the lid off there was this bubbling yellow suet on the top and the, there were kids then they went Ugh! and I went it's custard <laughs> oh it was hideous oh I love that I love that did you so did you did you, because you don't want to do uh, that eggs and baker, which is brilliant. I mean, did you then go, kind of think, oh, presenting, this is good, this kind of works, day job, works with the kids. Did you kind of source that out a little bit or was it, again, was it circumstantial? Yeah, circumstantial because um, uh, I did, I was asked to do, um, actually, to be perfectly honest, I don't know if you remember, but Bucksfield's had a big coach crash and Mike Nolan was in hospital for many months and uh, and so we couldn't work and actually it was during that time that I kind of established my television presenting career because I had the time mm. so in a in a weird way the coach crash gave me time to establish that side of my career um so so that's so I did it I did uh, I did an evening program with Michael Aspel called the six o'clock show and I was asked to do Saturday, the Saturday Picture Show, which was a live children's program with uh, Mark Curry. And from that, when that finished, they did another Saturday uh, Saturday morning show. I can't remember what it was called, but they asked me to do a cookery slot on it called Cheryl Baker's Out to Lunch. So I did that, and that was a couple of years, and that was just like a little 15-minute slot that I did on it. Mm -hmm. Then they said, no, we want you to have your own program. So that's when Eggs and Baker was, was born, and I did five years of eggs and baker which was great for me because i love cooking mm. i can't wait to cook today i mean when we when i finish with you i'm gonna go and make some um some uh yotamotolengi crab uh, cod cakes wow that sounds very impressive and very lovely come on it's a really good recipe but anyway um so i'm gonna so i love cooking 
I love music. And that was Eggs and Baker. It, it, you know, we always had live bands on. I used to sing on it and do cooking to encourage children to, to get into the kitchen and cook. Brilliant. It's so good. You've done so much. I mean, more, you've done. I mean, I couldn't even get through it. Or obviously, I I know lots of what you've done. But then when you start to research and go, oh my god, you've done, you did that and you did that. More recently, you did pop star to opera star, mm-hmm. um, and again, I remember speaking to because we had Joe McKeldry on. I think uh, season two. I think he was in, and I talked to Joe about that. This and uh, he said about um, and Claire Richards also, and I said brilliant but were you not terrified suddenly having to sing you know opera's very different to singing uh, you know pop or musical theatre it's a different style how did you feel going into that show or was it something you were like yeah I'm geared up for this no not at all I mean I'd never sang opera and I wasn't into opera I thought opera was for toffs (laughs) <laughs> so I did. I just thought that you know, if I if there was opera coming out, I wouldn't even look at opera on the telly mm. because I would think I don't understand that, so I'm not mm-hmm. even going to look at it. It's, my life has changed now because of pop star to opera star. I can completely appreciate it now. Mm. But um, back then, I they my man, my agent said, "Do you want to go and try for pop star to opera star?" And I went, "Yeah, all right." You know, just thinking I probably won't get it. But I went <laughs> up, and there was. Um, this lovely vocal coach there and she said sing for me and I sang a bit of Making Your Mind Up which was pretty awful really and she said well sing some opera for, sing that song but sing it like an opera singer and I did my what I thought was what opera was about and she went no 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 she said take the mickey out of it take the mickey out of an opera singer do it as if you're making fun of it yeah. and I went oh and you've got to speed it up she went, that's it that's <laughs> it <laughs> So then she gave me some proper sort of opera lines to sing and she said emphasize it and sing you know sing from your diaphragm and and she was she was giving me some tips and I I thought this is amazing I have never used my voice like this mm. and then fa- thankfully I got the gig you know I did the show but the training we trained 6 days a week wow. and it really was a strain on my voice because yeah. it was completely different from singing pop pop singers sing totally wrong from all the wrong places to make those funny sounds and make mm. the raspy sounds and the can you imagine bonnie tyler you know singing <laughs> do you know what i mean yes yeah. it's, it's, it's a completely different voice. place yeah it's completely and, different and, and using it almost incorrectly to make mm. it sound like rocky or whatever poppy but opera singers it's so pure and you have to work at it mm. and um and so i loved the challenge and and I especially loved my the highlight for me was singing um, the flower duet mm. with Catherine Jenkins. Mm. I love and that. She, yeah, and she's um, she. Uh, I I sang the uh, the falsetto. Am I right? Soprano. Thank you. She, <laughs> she's a mezzo, isn't she? Mezzo. Yeah. And I sang the soprano line, and uh, and it was just for me that was the highlight of the whole series. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. How wonderful. How amazing. Oh, I mean there's just there's so many brilliant parts that, that you've you you know, your career has has brought to us it's, and you've done because, so many different things. It's because I'm hundred and three. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, it's because you've never stopped. You've never stopped working, and you've never you've kind of juggled everything, and you've had a family, and you've you know been a a, a superstar and presented and done theatre. I mean, there's some. It's it's really inspiring. It really is to it, for me. It's about longevity, and it's about keeping keeping going and new challenges and I love that you don't shy away from that that you just go right yeah dancing are nice why don't I yeah pop star, star, star. yeah let's go for it theatre present it's amazing it really is what's been what's been the toughest moment throughout the whole career what uh, career wise what's been the hardest hardest moment oh I think I, I think it would be theatre I, I think that um, I think doing theatrical musicals in fact, I did a play. That was that was horrific. I did That's a scary. run of play. I did a run of plays. Um, it was like rep, you know, when you when you do a play for a week, and then during the day while you're doing that play in the evening, you learn the next the week's one. play for the next week. We did we did that, and I did um, Dilem for Murder, and so that was quite serious. Obviously, it's a it's a sort of a drama. Um, and I remember sitting on the sofa talking to the chap that I had to speak to in this particular scene and completely blanking, forgetting my line. And he could see the fear in my yeah. eyes. And and he kind of jumped in. Thankfully, he knew, you know, the next line was... And he we managed to gloss over it. But at that moment, I died a thousand deaths. Mm. And I think that that's the trouble with theatre for me, that that you they rely on you they rely on your lines and if you don't get them if you forget in a panto ha who cares it's a laugh mm. but in a the, theatrical production especially when it's a serious part you can't mess it up mm. and I, and i do you know i've won awards in pantomime for corpsing on stage <laughs> <laughs> i have i you love that i love that so much <laughs> I've won an award. I love that. That's genius. That I've got the Broken a... Plate Award for Corpse on Stage. I love and I got a, I got a cup for Corpse. It always, every time, if ever I do a... In fact, I think it was Happy Days the Musical. Oh, my God, yes, of course. <laughs> Happy Days the Musical. Right, so I was playing Mrs Cunningham and they had to slide my kitchen on. It was on runners. Uh, that for the scene, they had to slide the the uh, kitchen on, and then I and the lights come up, and I appear, and I'm cooking for um, Pinky Toscadero, who was played by um, Heidi Range from the Sugar Babes. So, um, so I'm I'm talking to her. My back is to the audience. I'm talking to her because at the at the time I'm making bread or something, and she's chatting to me. But they hadn't put the the um, they hadn't put the the brake on the rollers oh, and no. my kitchen started rolling out and I went into hysterical laughter. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're in a big theatre with thousands of people watching and I start laughing and bless her heart, Heidi Range, I had to look to her and say a line and I looked at her and instead of saying my line, I went, Pah! and I <laughs> laughed in her face. I love that. I am that, such though. an amateur. I love that though. I bet the audience <laughs> loved it. I bet they I bet they still remember it as well. Well, they, they could went... see it <laughs> Absolutely. Gradually sliding off the stage. I oh love that. Word. I love that. And what's what's been apart from laughing, which I love, that's just that's brilliant. What's been the highlight? What's been the best moment? I'm of sure you've got lots. I'm sure you've got lots, but is there is there one that stands out? Oh well obviously it's got to be winning the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. But there's but there are others. There's um doing the Top of the Pops Christmas show. 
that was fantastic because you had to be one of the artists that were the biggest of the year and they and on that show we sang land of make-believe and um and they hoisted me they put me onto um, wires so that and i did the routine and everything and then on run for the sun they hoisted the wires and i went up into the air i loved it i loved i mean <laughs> it was fantastic so much fun but going to number one yeah is amazing and we were given um a bpi award which is now called the brits it was the british phonographic industry then a bpi award for um the people's choice or something the something like that on and, and our songwriter Andy wrote the he won the best songwriter award for now those days are gone and there are all those things when you get a pat on the back they they you really appreciate them mm. I, I never took any of them for granted you really appreciate them so yeah it's been it's been amazing going to Australia um, to tour and seeing my brother who lives there and I hadn't seen him for years so <gasps> you know things like that yeah I wouldn't have I wouldn't have afforded to go to Australia mm. when you know back in the day. So to actually be going over there to work and see Colin was just it meant the world to me. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, we've loved watching you and all the things that you do. Did, hang on a minute. I just have to ask you one more thing before I ask you my final question. Did you do the marathon? I've done a couple of marathons, yeah, and lots of what? half marathons. Yeah. Oh my goodness! I, 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 I was reading obviously the other night, and I've, I've started to run very basically. I'm not brilliant at it, and then I was like, "Wow, you know, you did this marathon." I was like, "That, that's impressive. That isn't an easy feat at all." I'm... The first one I did was in 2011. So how old was I? I was, um, I was born in '54, so I was fifty. 57, wasn't I? Wow. 57 when wow. I did the first one. And then I did another one a couple of years later. And I actually thought I had another uh, another marathon in me. Um, but I'm not so sure now. I, I've got another half marathon, definitely. I, w I was going to do one this year. I was going to do one last year. Um, it's called the uh, London Landmarks Half Marathon. That's yeah, fantastic yeah. because you're running in London. You're seeing all these fantastic... Mm landmarks of London you know and I don't care about the time I used to stop at every one of them and t do a selfie you know <laughs> Tower of London behind me some yeah. pools behind me you know um and also even like the the first marathon that I did it was you, you should put it if you if you if you started running you you must do it you must oh, put it on your bucket list I it's the most incredible thing oh honestly Kerry going down the mall at the end you do hit a wall at 20 miles. 20 miles? I hit a mile at eight miles. I hit a wall at the moment. <laughs> you hit a wall at 20 miles and you feel a bit like, I can't carry on. But the crowd, the crowd mm. carry you. You're on a, you're on a, a carpet of, of, you know, inspiration from the people in the crowd. And then when you're going down Horse Guards Parade and you know that you just got to turn right at Buckingham Palace and you're there and you turn right and there are cameras on you and there's big screens in front of you. So you see you're running towards yourself. You know, they see wow. they pick everybody up and people are screaming your name. And the guy on the there's a there's a guy looking at your number can see who you are. Here comes Cheryl Baker. Here comes whoever it is, you know, names everybody. And the crowd are screaming. Honestly, it's fantastic. Wow. Everybody oh, should do the marathon at least maybe. once. Maybe. 
maybe but you may have inspired me to do it who knows who knows oh my goodness it's oh. the training that's the killer <laughs> yeah it's the training especially for the london marathon because you have to train through our winter and mm. if it's a wet winter or a, you know a snowy winter it can be really hard We'll be right back with Cheryl, but I can't let her go without asking her my final question that I ask all my special guests. If you could look back on your 20-year-old self and give yourself a piece of advice that you've been given or you would give yourself, what would it be of how to keep calm and carry on? Stop being late. Because <laughs> it, honestly, it's been something that even at school, Rita Crudgington, always late. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I nearly lost the gig with Bucks Fizz because of being late. I had a phone call at six o'clock in the morning so that she knew that I would be there. She rang me, this was Nicola, and said, stop, stop this, otherwise you're out of the band. So, um, yeah, stop being late and stop eating so much. <laughs> because I've always, I've, I love my life, Kerry, I love it. I love having a glass of wine. Mm. I love eating with friends. And and I and I give that priority where I should say, you know what, you've got a gig at the end of the week. Starve yourself for a week so you get into the costume. And I, I don't. I don't. I think that's brilliant. I think enjoy life. It's what it's about, you know, that... It's what it's all about. And I think, especially over the last year, we've made it even more important to be out there celebrating with your friends, have that glass of wine, have that, you know, yeah. bit of cake. I think, why because not? Because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, you do you? You just happen. don't. Who dreamt, who dreamt that this um, pandemic was going to happen? This is mm. making history. This yeah. is, in years, to, in centuries to come, this is going to be the bubonic plague mm. of the of the 2000s, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, yeah. It is. Sherry, you've been a dream. Thank you so much for talking to me. It's I been so it, lovely Kerry. to have I've you. Loved it. And um and all the best. And I hope I'll get to see you soon and we'll get it'd be lovely if we could do something together, wouldn't it? That'd be nice. No, you would don't want that. You I do. Want I want to laugh forget on stage. my line. No, that's it. I'll forget my line and look at you and go, Pah! Oh, I'm a giggler as well, so it'd be awful. <laughs> Sherry, you're gorgeous. Thank you so much. Bless your heart. Thank you, Kerry. Well, that is it for another episode. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for coming on today. It was so lovely to chat to you. Isn't she just amazing? And what about all those awards, those gold discs behind her? I mean, that's just goals, isn't it? <laughs> Thanks, Cheryl. It was an absolute joy to have you with us today. Also, thank you to my lovely producer, Martin. You're just wonderful. And uh, putting these things together, especially in the sweltering heat, you're just a dream. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, thank you to our sponsors, Bedfordshire Hot Tubs. We couldn't be here without you. We're loving having you on board this season. And honestly, guys, go check them out because, um, you know, I mean, we all need a bit of something in our lives, a bit of glamour, a bit of creature comforts. <laughs> you know, it's been a tough year. Nobody could go away. So bring the holiday home. That's what I say. Also to our brilliant sponsors, me, Winchmore Hill, for sponsoring us for this episode. It's been lovely to have you with us. And of course, to you guys for being here. Please hit subscribe and check out any episodes you haven't heard yet. We have a season one, two and three, of course. And also tell your friends um, about us because the more we get the word out there, the better it is. And hopefully it just brings people a little bit of joy. So for me this week, oh, I had two glorious shows at the Pheasant in Chelsea which was so much fun to be back live on stage I did actually go live on Instagram as well which I think you can still check out 
And I'm at Albert Hall this week with Best of the West End, a beautiful lineup of musical theatre stars at the Royal Albert Hall. Oh, what a joy to be back. And of course, it was my dear friend Brian. It's his birthday this week. Happy birthday, Brian. I hope you had an amazing day. So whatever you're doing, have an amazing week. Um, I'm heading down to Harpenden as well this uh, this Saturday to do a couple of shows down there at the Manor House. So I'm keeping busy. <laughs> I need to remember to keep calm and carry on myself. So stay cool, you guys, and I will see you next week. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye. <laughs> 